I only got a 20-minute message. All right. Are we there? Okay. All right. Well, it's kind of a nasty night out tonight. We've got a house full of uh, empty chairs, and uh, except for we had uh, one person here along with Jonathan and I, and uh, braved the weather, the winter weather, neither sleet nor snow nor dark of night, I think something like that. Uh, but uh, anyway, good to have uh, everybody tuning in tonight. Hopefully you'll uh, either watch this live or tune in a little bit later and looking forward to it. And uh, we're going to continue in the book of Revelation tonight, Revelation uh, chapter number 2, Revelation chapter number 2, and um, we're going to have a word of prayer. We're not going to have uh, music tonight because the one individual that did come to church doesn't want to sing a solo uh, so we'll, uh, we'll just, uh, forego the singing tonight. Do be in prayer, if you will, for, uh, the family of Brother Ron Beckett. For those of you that do not know, he did go home to be with the Lord, uh, this past Monday. And, uh, the funeral arrangements will be this Saturday at Vineyard Funeral Home. And I saw the time and I didn't write it down. I think it's noon, but I'll, I think the viewing is at 10 and the funeral's at noon. Is that right? Uh, so uh, viewing would be from 10 to noon, and then uh, the funeral service itself will be at noon. And um, so I want to encourage our folks to come and be a part of that. And uh, Brother Randy Casey will be uh, doing that service. And uh, so pray that God will bless and use that in a very special way and uh, give comfort to the family. Also pray for Brother Richard Anderson tonight, uh, homesick, and talk to him a little bit today. And uh, not doing real well, and so continue to pray for him, if you will. And Miss Laverne Payne, uh, keep her in prayer also uh, for for uh, just not able to get out a whole lot anymore, and so keep her in prayer. Uh, Jess and Sarah Harris and uh, Jean Whitener, we're going to continue to pray for them. And uh, the family of June Boland, continue praying these days as uh, they follow up uh, uh, from the funeral from Miss June. And the, the days ahead seem to be some of the hardest ones, and this is the time that they need a lot of prayer. And uh, then if you would, continue to pray for my mom, who will be going in for some tests on Friday and uh, for some health issues, and we're praying for a good report from that. And uh, so pray that God will intervene there. And so several things to be in prayer for tonight. And uh, God has certainly been good. We thank Him for His goodness to us. I uh, am feeling much, much better. I was sick again Sunday for some reason. I don't understand that. I, I think Satan was just trying to... To throw a wrench in Sunday is what I could figure out because by Monday evening I was feeling fine again and uh, still had a little bit of sinus, but nothing, nothing major. I appreciate so many folks that were praying and calling and sending texts and encouragement and it meant an awful lot to me and uh, certainly uh, feeling much, much better now. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer, if you will, and we'll go ahead and begin our service this evening. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful tonight for the opportunity to be here, and in times like these where uh, the weather pre prevents us from uh, being able to meet together, uh, the whole church body together and whole church family together, it is good to know that we live in a time where you've uh, allowed us to have the kind of technology that we have to be able to still uh, take your word and spend time together. We do pray for those that we've mentioned this evening uh, that uh, are in need of your prayer. We think of Brother Richard uh, Anderson and uh, that you'll continue to touch his body and strengthen him. And for Jess and Sarah Harris and for uh, Miss Laverne, <coughs> Miss Jean Whitener and others that are uh, still not able to get out and around. 
We do pray for uh, Brother Ron Beckett's family tonight. And Lord, we do rejoice that he is in heaven with you. His first few days now that he has been up there. And I can only imagine some of the joy that he is uh, experiencing, some of the uh, wonders of having uh, health again and being able to uh, rejoice with his Savior. And uh, Father, we do thank you for that uh, wonderful peace that that brings to us to know uh, that we can have a home for eternity in heaven with you. And what a joy that is to us. And, Lord, a number of folks that are not able to be with us tonight, and uh, we pray that you would uh, touch them physically, those that are not feeling well. It was good to hear from Brother Dan Roberts today. We continue to pray for him and Miss Carmen uh, as they've been recovering from uh, uh, being sick and uh, that you would continue to touch their bodies. And, Lord, pray for we pray for my mom tonight that you would give grace there and comfort and strength as we go uh, look forward to the test uh, on Friday that you would give a good report and uh, that there would be nothing serious or nothing major there that we would be concerned with and uh, Father that you would give great grace to her. Uh, Lord I pray that you would continue to bless uh, Brother Brent's wife Nita that uh, you would touch her uh, uh, physical situation and that uh, the doctors would be able to uh, remedy her, her leg situation and her ability to walk, uh, the things that she's been struggling with. And we think of Miss um, Evelyn tonight and uh, the pain that she's been in uh, so much from the fall that she took and that you would touch her and strengthen her, give ease of pain and some relief to it. We thank you for uh, working Brother Norm's uh, injury in the, the fall that he had taken uh, a few weeks ago and that it's doing better. We pray that you'll continue to help him mend. And then, Lord, we ask that you would bless uh, others that are uh, not feeling well tonight, uh, family members that we know of that are uh, not doing well. We think of Miss Joanne's grandson and, and others, uh, Miss Hannah out in Texas that we've been praying for, and uh, some that maybe we don't mention every, every day or every service, but you know uh, what the burdens are, what the needs are, and pray that you would uh, touch their bodies. We pray that you'll bless the teaching of your word tonight as we look into uh, some things from prophecy. Uh, that they will be an encouragement to us, and that they will bring uh, a stirring in our hearts, an urgency, a sense of urgency of the day and the hour that we live in to accomplish a work that you've given for us to do. And so, Father, bless and use it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to pick up where I left off two weeks ago. I appreciate so much, Brother Oates, filling in last uh, Wednesday night and got an opportunity uh, to hear him via live stream. And what a, what a great message on uh, the uh, view from uh, the, the letters of the churches uh, in Revelation of a decline of churches and how, how that seems to take place. And uh, did a, a tremendous job in, in his message on that. And I so appreciated him being available last minute to fill in and help uh, cover for me when I was sick. And uh, certainly uh, appreciate that. We've studied uh, the first uh, several churches here. We dealt with the church at Ephesus and Smyrna. And then uh, we ended last time with the church at Pergamos. And we're getting ready to launch into the fourth church, which would be the church of Thyatira. (coughs) In each of these letters, uh, God identifies himself to the church in a unique way. And each way, I believe, is, is... uh, symbolic or is, is, is well thought out by God to indicate to the church uh, the 
uh, authority that he has to make the observations that he makes. Because with each church, he um, speaks of the things that he that they're doing right, and he commends them for those things. And then he speaks of the things that they do wrong, that they need to uh, fix and deal with. Uh, and then he uh, gives them a command of how to fix it, how to go about making the remedy. And then finally, he gives a challenge to those that are saved to remain faithful. And he speaks, uh, oftentimes the phrase is used, to him that overcometh. And we spent some time dealing a couple weeks ago with the idea that that phrase, in these particular instances in the Revelation, is in reference to those that have trusted Christ as their Savior. And uh, so don't, uh, we don't need to have that as something that's a problem phrase or a problem word for us. Uh, it simply means that those that are saved. And we know that by what he says about those that overcome it. The fact that they will um, be able to eat of the tree of life, the fact that they will be able to be in heaven, uh, and several other uh, things that he deals with uh, are in response to those and are promises to those that are saved. They're not for those that are lost. And so we understand that passage or that phrase, he that overcometh, to mean those that are saved. If you will, let's take our Bibles, and we should be <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> in chapter number 2. We'll begin reading in verse number 18, Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 18. And unto the angel of the church of Thyatira write these things, saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols." I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts. And I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you I say... And unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden, but that which ye have already. Hold fast till I come, he that overcometh, and keepeth my works unto the end. To him will I give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with the rod of iron, and the vessels of a potter, uh, shall they be broken, as the vessels of the potter, shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So we begin the letter to the church at Thyatira. God represents himself to the church, first of all, by calling himself the Son of God. And uh, he makes reference to the fact that the Son of God, it says, who hath eyes, like unto a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass. And, of course, we know that um, the indication oftentimes in prophecy of fire is dealing with uh, the judgment uh, of, of God, uh, the idea of fine brass. Again, uh, the 
uh, uh, indicator that there is uh, a uh, position that Christ holds of looking at this church and, and in uh, a way of judgment, He is a discerner uh, or a divider of the evil that's going on in the church. He's able to take the things and say, here's the things you're doing right, here are the things you're doing wrong. And He established Himself as an authority at the early part of the letter uh, by using these phrases and these pictures about Himself that indicates the fact that He is one who is worthy, He is the one that is just, He's the one that is right to be able to bring judgment in these matters. Now He begins by saying He knew their works. He spoke of their charity, He spoke of their service, He spoke of their faith, and He spoke of their patience. And then He, again, speaks of their works. And He mentions it twice. And uh, you, you may wonder, well, why in the world would He say that twice? He, he speaks often of these churches, uh, the letters that He writes, that I know thy works. But He refers to it twice here, and then He, he makes a statement that says, and the last, I'm, uh, with reference to the works, the last to be more than the first. In other words, there was an outward, at least, indication that this church was a growing church, that the people in it uh, were, uh, by way of service, at least, by way of their, their, their patience, they were um, doing some things outwardly that were right. They were growing outwardly. And, uh, but I, I think there's a valuable lesson to be learned here, because when he talks about some of the things that he has against them, there was some, some pretty... Pretty uh, difficult things that he, he hits them with. And uh, he begins by saying, you've tolerated this woman. And notice it doesn't say that she was a prophetess. It says that she called herself a prophetess. And he refers to her as a Jezebel uh, in, the, in the Scriptures here. Now, uh, whether that it was actually her name or whether that was in reference to her character, uh, we don't know that for certain from Scripture. I have the... The opinion that that was probably not her name, but was more the lifestyle that she was living uh, because of the way that she is described in the things that she has done here in a few verses. And so we look at this thing that this church was tolerating in its church, uh, this woman to get up and to uh, present herself as a religious authority, uh, to consider that she is a prophetess, she is speaking uh, with the claim that it was under the authority of God. In other words, these are things God wants me to tell you. And uh, it's interesting. I've come across a few times in my lifetime some women that felt that they were to share things with the church uh, that were from God, that nobody else could get. It came through them. And uh, that is never the, the, the uh, role that God has given for women in the church. And I'm not trying to be unkind or mean to women today. I'm just trying to be very biblical about it, that God has never uh, put women in a uh, religious leadership in the church to preach or teach doctrine or to give the things that God has said uh, to uh, men and to uh, others in the church as the authority. And so we find here uh, that this uh, woman called herself a prophetess, and uh, she did teach some things, but also I want you to notice in verse number 20, the Bible says uh, to teach and to seduce my servants. Now, there's two things that she seduces these people to do. Uh, one of them is to commit fornication, and the other one is to eat meat that is sacrificed to idols. 
And uh, even though the Nicolaitans are not mentioned in this particular passage, we do know and remember from our study on the church of Pergamos that um, the description of the Nicolaitans and their doctrine was likened to the doctrine of Balaam, uh, who, who, uh, if you remember, we spent a little bit of time teaching on that, uh, told uh, Balak, who was the uh, king of the enemy of uh, the Israelites at the time, uh, he said, here's how you can defeat Israel. He says, you go in and you uh, give your daughters and your sons, and they were committing fornication with each other, and they would intermix in, in those types of things. And then they would also bring in the idolatry or the uh, worship of other idols. And we find that both of those things are also done here by this Jezebel that's in the church at Thyatira. Now, why is this, why is this uh, so important that uh, God gives us the blessings or the things that He says, these are things I know your works you're doing good in? Now, I want to bring this point out because I, I think I've been a part of uh, occasionally. I've been in, under the influence of at least some ministries in my lifetime that became something outwardly. But the inside was rotten. There were some things in the church that were were almost unthinkable. They they were they were. Um, we we need to be careful of this. And I think one of the things we find as we go to each of these churches, with the exception of I think possibly two of them, is that the churches were trying to exemplify what they should be outwardly. And from what we can tell from the church of Thyatira, this was a growing church. Their their latter works were greater than their first works. And if you were to look at this church from its outside um, representation, its outward testimony, if you will, you would probably look at it and say, this church is a growing church. And if we're not careful, we will equate uh, numerical growth, we will equate um, uh, public service for God, the amount of public service for God, we will equate that to spirituality. That is not what makes a church walk with God or is close to God. Now, a church that is walking with God, there may be the blessings of God on it that cause it to grow. There may be the, the fire of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of the people that cause them to serve and to serve sacrificially. But just because a church is busy outwardly, just because a church is growing numerically does not mean that the Spirit of God is in control of that church. And we've got to be careful that we do not become churches that work on the exterior shell of what we are and never deal with the heart of what we are, the inner condition, the inner man, the things that matter, the things that are uh, very important to us. And so God kind of hits a nerve, if you will, uh, under the surface. He, he points out some things. He says, listen, outwardly you all are doing okay but there's some problems on the inside, and, and you guys can't do this. And he has some very, very stern words for him. Notice what he says here. It says in verse number 21, and this is certainly a wonderful picture of God's character and His attributes. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication. He didn't just, the, the moment it happened, he didn't just pass judgment immediately upon it. God oftentimes is long-suffering and gracious and gives us all an opportunity to do what is right, to come back to Him. Having pointed it out, having, having made it apparent, the, the, 
the actions then still continuing to happen after God had made it apparent to them. God then says, I'm going to have to bring some judgment. Look what he says here in verse number 22. It talks about the fact that he gave her space to repent, and she repented not. So in verse 22, he says, Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and then to commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I think the wording here, verse 22, is really interesting, because even nowadays in the day that we live, uh, we have a, a phrase or a, a, word, a, 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 a word picture that we use sometimes, oftentimes, to deal with the way people are acting or living their lives. And we'll use the reference of, well, they made their bed, now they've got a lie in it. And what we mean by that phrase is they're reaping what they're sowing. And we find that God tells them in verse 22 that He will cast her into a bed. I believe this probably is speaking here of even physical illness. I think that there's some things that will be brought to pass even physically upon her. Certainly we know that those that commit adultery with her are going to go through uh, some great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And isn't that always like God, that even when He pronounces the judgment, He always leaves the door open for them to repent still. Even at that point, they can still come back to Him. I love the fact that we have a God like that, because the truth is, we always fail Him. Every day, no matter how hard we try to do right, we always fail. And I'm thankful we have a God that even in His chastening, even in His judgment of us sometimes, He still gives us that opportunity to repent and come back to Him. And uh, you say, well, is there other pictures of Scripture in, uh, uh, throughout uh, history and Scripture? Well, certainly there is. Uh, time and time and again. Uh, the nation of Israel uh, went through God's judgment. And every time, every time, his intent was to bring them back to him. Always to bring them back to him. Notice what he says in verse 23. And I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts. Again, he's dealing here not so much with the outward. He's dealing here with the inward. He's dealing with the heart. He's dealing with things that men may look at and not see, or at least not see clearly. Things that God will look at, and with His piercing, judging, just uh, righteousness, He'll look at them, He'll discern the, the reins of the heart, and make judgment upon them. And it says in verse number 23, And I will give unto every one of you according to your works. Now again, he's giving warning here to those that are committing adultery, those that are committing fornication here, in verse number 22 he calls it adultery, with this, this woman who called herself a Jezebel, or, or was referred to here as a Jezebel in the church. But he noticed in verse 24 there was a remnant in the church. And by the way, God almost always has, seems to have a remnant, doesn't he? Always has some that won't bow the knee, some that will remain true and they will remain right. And verse 24, it says, But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine. In other words, they've kept themselves pure. They've not been seduced by this woman. Uh, I believe that there is a tremendous amount of teaching in the New Testament for God's people to search the Scriptures when it comes to the leaders... And what they teach 
both their character and their, their uh, content, that they are to search the Scriptures. Are they false prophets? Are they false, in this case, prophetesses? Um, do they teach? Do they preach the Word of God? Or do they teach things that are wrong? Do they uh, do things that are contrary to the Scriptures? <coughs> and so again... I think that there is a tremendous amount of this given through the New Testament that we as responsible Christians, those that trust Christ as their Savior, ought always to be searching the things that we're taught. Uh, I encourage people oftentimes here at Keith Heights, if they see something that I've taught that they believe to be wrong scripturally, I, I need them to come to me on that. My heart and my desire is to do what is right, to teach what is right, and I will never have an issue, never have an issue as a pastor when someone comes to me and says, Pastor, I think we missed this. I think you need to look at this again. And we'll take the time. We'll look at it. And uh, there are people in this church that will give you uh, testimony of the fact I am sincere about that. And I think that every preacher worth their salt ought to be saying, I want to be accurate. I want to be right on Scripture. And uh, we, we want to make sure that we uh, are, are keeping ourselves pure in doctrine and pure from uh, those that would come and deceive our churches. Um, there are things that, under the guise of religion, can creep into our churches, things that we become involved with. Things that would become, on the surface, they seem really good and something that are wholesome, but in the underlying parts of them are things that are contrary to Scripture, things that are wrong in doctrine, and we're not to have fellowship with those. We're, not to, we're to keep ourselves from those things. We're not to join arm in arm and just agree on the things that we can agree on. There are people that I have that are dear friends of mine. And as, as a person, uh, I don't mind sitting down and having lunch with them and being friendly to them. But when it comes to ministry, because there are doctrinal differences, I do not join in with their ministries. I don't go to their revival services. I don't preach in their churches. Because there's a separation that has to be given there. And I'm not saying we have to treat them unkindly, but we cannot join arm in arm with them and be in fellowship with them on their doctrine. There has to be a distinction here between those that hold true to what the Word of God says and those that would follow after man's doctrine. And it's, it's, it's feasible to happen even in churches like Keith Heights Baptist Church. There, there have been things that we have had, that I personally as a pastor have had to take a stand against. And it's been difficult. And I'll tell you why it's been difficult. Not because it was hard to take a stand against the wrong doctrine or the wrong position of something, but because the people that I had to, to talk to about this or take a stand on about it were people that I loved and people that I cared for. And yet we still had to be true. We had to be right. And with grace and with as much grace as I could muster, I, I had to deal with them. And uh, I let them know I'm still their friend. I'll do what I can to help them. But we had to take a stand on some issues. And folks, when it comes to the issue of Scripture, we cannot compromise. We cannot move on these things. We cannot allow uh, those that would seduce. You say, well, this lady was seducing to fornication. She was seducing to eating meat sacrificed to idols. But the principle of the matter is we can be seduced by things far different even than this. 
And our churches can look at that. It, it may be our music. We can be seduced into it. It can be our forms of entertainment. We can be seduced into it. It can be our lifestyle, the way we live, our attitude, our actions, the way we speak. We can be seduced into these things. And if we're not careful, we'll, we'll uh, agree to them simply because that person's a nice person. We like them. They're our friend. And we, without realizing it, begin to go down that road. And yet there are people here in verse number 24 that are in this church that I look at and say, boy, there's such wickedness going on in the midst of the church. How could this be? But the truth is, if we're not careful, the smallest little thing can begin to creep into a church. And if not dealt with, it can continue to grow and get bigger and larger until finally you look up one day and you realize that you're somewhere you never thought you would be. We've got to be so careful of these things. Verse 24 says, But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan, as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden. He says, look, I'm not, there, there may have been some more things that needed some correcting, but nothing beyond this. this get this taken care of first is what he's saying. This, this, is, this, got, this cannot be allowed to happen. It's got to be taken care of. We'll deal with some other things maybe down the road is probably what he's in, intending by saying this. I'm not going to put anything else on you. Get this taken care of. This is important. This is primary. And uh, that's what he's speaking of here. He says, and he's telling them, and those, by the way, it's interesting that uh, it's, it's the folks that were true, that remain true, that God gives the responsibility of purging this out of the church to. He says, you've got you've to deal with these things. And verse 25, but that ye may... Uh, that which ye have already hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule with them, rule them with the rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my Father. And this speaking again, I believe, of the uh, time of the millennial reign of Christ, where the Bible speaks of the fact that those of us that are saved, those of us that are Christians, will rule and reign with him and that we will be given those positions of authority during that time period. And in verse 28, he says, I will give to him, again, speaking of those that overcometh, I will give to him the morning star. The morning star. Well, what's the morning star? Uh, let's look in Revelation chapter 22 for a moment. And again, as often as we can in prophecy, we want the Bible to uh, explain itself. Uh, if the Bible can explain itself, then let's go with its explanation. There are times maybe that God does not, uh, through His wisdom, give further explanation in Scripture. And those are times we have to pray and ask for God to give some uh, wisdom and understanding. But there are certain things in Scripture that God allows us to know. He shows us in other places. So let's look in Revelation chapter 20, and uh, let's look down in uh, verse number uh, 16. Verse number 16. I, Jesus have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. Now, so, so who are we speaking of here? He, he tells us pretty clearly. He says, I, I, Jesus. Okay, so we're speaking here of Jesus. Notice he says here in verse number 16, he says, I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And we have a song in our songbooks we sing often. We don't realize sometimes that that is one of the, the things that Christ calls himself the bright and the morning star. And so again, coming back to the end of this letter to Thyatira, he tells those that overcome, he says, you'll be able to rule uh, over the nations, you'll have a rod of iron, you'll have authority. 
And uh, he says, then I will give him the morning star. That means that we get to have the Lord Jesus Christ uh, to be with us in, in relationship and throughout that time of eternity. And a uh, wonderful, wonderful promise given uh, to those of us that are saved. And uh, then he uh, ends as he does so often with each of these letters. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. In chapter number 3, we're going to begin with the church of Sardis. We'll see how far we get with it tonight because there's a, an element in the church of Sardis that uh, we may spend a, a, a bit of time on. Um, but let's take a look real quick in chapter 3 and we'll begin in verse number 1. And under the angel of the church in Sardis write these things, saith he that hath the seven spirits of God. Now if you have... A pen, you might want to underline that phrase, the seven spirits of God. If you have the right kind of Bible in your hand, the word spirits is capitalized. The seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, we know what the seven stars are. We've already studied that. Uh, those are the angels of the churches, or the, we believe them to be the pastors of the churches. So these are in God's hand. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest, and art dead. Now I'm going to stop there, and we're going to take a look at this phrase, the seven spirits of God. What does that mean, the seven spirits of God? It's interesting. Uh, if that was a little s, I, I would I would probably be like, well, that's dealing with some of the attributes of God or something along that line. But the fact that it's capitalized causes me to say, okay, that that has to be indication of deity here. So when I see that phrase, I want to go and look, what does the Bible have to say about this? And as much as we can, uh, we want the Bible to explain these things. So there are a number, I've got five references in Revelation alone. There are a number of times that this phrase uh, is, is used, uh, and I want us to take a quick look at those uh, one at a time. Let's go back to Revelation chapter 1. We're going to take a few moments to deal with what is the reference here, the seven spirits of God. What is that in reference to, or who is that in reference to? Let's go back to Revelation chapter 1, and let's look first of all in verse number 4. Revelation 1 and verse number 4. This is the first indication we see of it in Revelation in the form that we've just read it. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace. All right, so he's pronouncing a blessing of grace and peace. This is not unusual for the apostles to begin their letters, uh, may the grace of God or may the mercy of God or may the peace of God be on you. And they pronounce a blessing. And in the pronunciation of it, they indicate who this grace and this peace is to be coming from. So let's see here, as we get to verse 4, he makes this statement, Under the seven churches which are in Asia, Grace be unto you, and peace from him which is, and which was, and which is to come. And, there's a semicolon there, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. So the seven spirits phrase here that's used in verse 4 is indicating, it seems to be, one of the three members of the Godhead. He who was and is and is to come, being God the Father, and 
this grace and peace that is supposed to be offered to the churches are to be given by Him which was and is and is to come. It's to be given by the seven spirits which are before His throne. And it's to be given by, verse number 5, and from, the Lord, or from Jesus Christ. We see here a trinity again. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So I believe that there are a couple of reasons why the reference, the seven spirits, is in reference to the Holy Spirit. Uh, one of them being that uh, John gives uh, the, well, one of them is our King James Bible has it capitalized, uh, which again indicates deity every time we see that in reference to that. Uh, secondly is because of the fact that the seven spirits, uh, the reason I don't believe that they are angelic beings is because that these spirits are equated alongside of God the Father and Jesus Christ as having the uh, authority and the ability to give grace and to give peace. The Bible speaks of the Holy Spirit. It says, Thou shalt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. And uh, the Bible speaks of the fact Jesus said, I will send another comforter. The idea of the peace of God and the Spirit of God bringing peace to us. He's the one that's able to do this function. Another indication in verse number 4 that I believe is, is very significant, and again, I'm going to lay a number of evidences out here, and when taken all together, I think we can come to the conclusion that this phrase, the seven spirits, is dealing with the Holy Spirit. If somebody disagrees with me on that, that's fine. I want to show the evidence of it, and God will allow you to come to your conclusion on it. But the other reason, I believe, or one of the other reasons is, the Bible says in verse number 4 that these seven spirits are before His throne. And he, this, this, uh, the, the, the seven spirits that are spoken of here have a place at God's throne. It's interesting that God the Son has a place uh, by the throne of God. His is at the right hand of the throne of God. And uh, here it says that the seven spirits are before his throne. So again, indicating, I believe, that there is a uh, distinction here of the Godhead. The second time we see this is where we read it in uh, chapter 3. So let's take a look there for a moment. Chapter 3 and verse number 1. If you'll notice the pattern of every letter, all seven letters, the beginning of every letter, God describes himself either in name or in function. He gives himself the authority and the position of what he's getting ready to say. We get to chapter 3, and the beginning of the letter to the angel of the church in Sardis is God speaking of himself and says, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. So again, it's speaking here of the fact that Jesus not only has the angels in his hand, but he also has the seven spirits of God. Uh, that's a very interesting thing because in Revelation chapter number 3 and verse number 1, it says that he hath the seven spirits of God. But John refers to the fact in his gospel uh, that Jesus makes the statement that he will send the Holy Spirit, that Jesus has that ability to send the Holy Spirit. And I believe that there's a distinction there. 
The other thing we find is in Revelation chapter number 4, in verse number 5. So let's take a look at this one again. Not taking any one scripture, but let's, let's take the whole of it. All right? Revelation chapter 4 and verse number 5. Revelation chapter 4 and verse number 5. So we're going to begin seeing a few things that are, are quite uh, important for us to know. Uh, in verse number 5, the Bible says, And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Seven lamps before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. So there's some things that we know already that the Bible has said. Number one, we know that the seven spirits of God are before His throne. We know that about them. We know that the seven spirits of God have the capability of giving grace and peace. We know that the seven spirits of God are named alongside He which was and is and is to come and alongside of Jesus Christ. He's, he's one of the three that are named in that section. We know that he uh, is referred to here in verse number 5 uh, as uh, the seven lamps burning before the throne. The seven lamps of fire burning before the throne. So again, we see his position. We see that these are lamps of fire uh, burning before the throne. I believe there are a couple of indications perhaps to this, and I'll give you a couple of those real quick. Um, I believe that it deals with the sevenfold purposes or uh, of the Holy Spirit Himself. So let's take a moment here and look at Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter number 11. Hold your place in Revelation 3 cause we're, or uh, 4 because we're going to be back there in just a moment. Isaiah chapter 11. And let's look in verse number uh, 2. And in verse number 2, we find seven specific details about the Spirit here. In verse number 2, we find, and the Spirit of the Lord. So we know who it's in reference to. The Spirit of the Lord. Now, it's going to give some descriptions of Him, or at least some of the, the fact that His being is, in, uh, is related to God the Father, uh, because He is the Spirit of the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. So this is in relation to uh, Yahweh, God the Father. Uh, this, is, uh, this is His Spirit. So we know that this is the Spirit of God. Uh, verse number 2, "...shall rest upon Him." The spirit of wisdom, this is a function of the Holy Spirit, of the wisdom, uh, this, and, and again, of understanding and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, and of the fear of God. So we find seven things here. He's the spirit of the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. He's the spirit of wisdom. He is the spirit of understanding. He is the spirit of counsel. 
He is the spirit of might. He is the spirit of knowledge. And He is the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Uh, John ties these uh, seven spirits to the being of God the Father. He, he indicates this is the spirit of the Lord. Uh, so, again, he's not, I, I don't think this is all, <clears throat> at all in reference to angels alone, or, or those that are angels, but I believe it's in uh, the reference to the divine work of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to give you several arguments to this case, and then we're going to look at one other verse here. Uh, first of all, uh, John offers his worship in chapter 1 and verse number 4 of Revelation. He, he, he puts the seven spirits of God on the same level as he who was and is and is to come, and is on the same level as the Lord Jesus Christ. Only the Holy Spirit is able to be put on the same level as the two. It would also be heretical, I think, to believe that uh, someone other than the part uh, of the Godhead would be capable of receiving worship and for God to allow John to, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to put it in Scripture. <coughs> if you remember the Mount of Transfiguration, when the disciples were up there and they told the Lord, it's good that we're here, let's build a tabernacle, one to each of them, and immediately... Uh, Moses and Elijah disappeared because God, God's intent was that he, was, he would be the one that would get the worship. He would be the one that would be glorified. Um, I don't think that the number seven should throw us here. I don't think that that should be problematic to us, and I'll tell you why. Uh, I don't believe that the number seven here is enumerating that the Holy Spirit is seven persons. Oftentimes in Scripture, the number seven deals with the completion or the perfection or the fullness of. Um, and I, so I, I certainly don't think that this is an indication that the Holy Spirit is made up of seven different entities, but rather the entirety of His work, the fullness of His work, uh, how He works uh, completely and wholly. Uh, and we're going to see a reason why here in just a moment because we're going to look at another passage of Scripture, and I'll show that to you. Um, he has a place at God's throne. That's a very, very big issue. And then I want you to notice, let's go back to Revelation 1 for a minute. Revelation chapter 1. There's, there's another reason I want to give you out of Revelation. Then we're going to go over to uh, Zechariah for a moment and take a look at what Zechariah has to say about it. Let's look in Revelation 1. This time I want us to look down to uh, verse number 10. Verse number 10. So again, he's, he's making reference here to uh, uh, he who was and is and is to come. He's making reference to the seven spirits, and he's making reference to the Lord Jesus Christ uh, as the ones that are giving this revelation to him. In verse number 10, the Bible says, And I was in the capital S, Spirit, on the Lord's day. And heard behind me a great voice as a trumpet. And I think in verse 10 we find here that the Spirit is the agent. Not God the Father, not Jesus Christ, but the Spirit is the agent that is used here to give John the revelation that he's getting ready to pen. He's the one who gives these, these letters and dictates these letters uh, to John. So again, I, I think we, we have to rule out the idea that these are simply angels 
but is in reference to the Holy Spirit of God. And the, the seven should not throw us, but would rather be an indication of His complete, His full work, His full ability. Now, let's take a look here at Zechariah chapter number 4. Zechariah chapter number 4. And we'll probably end with this uh, tonight, and then we'll finish the letter to the church at Sardis. Uh, but I felt like this was it, this this phrase is used enough times in Revelation uh, to warrant us understanding what it is in reference to and not being confused by it. So let's look in Zechariah chapter number four, and uh, we're going to read uh, a good portion here of uh, this chapter. We're going to begin in verse number one. Uh, so that we have the full context of what Zechariah is referring to here. And again, keep in mind, he's, he's writing here prophetically. And the angel that talked with me came again and walked, uh, uh, waked, I'm sorry, and waked me as a man that is wakened out of his sleep and said unto me, What seest thou? So again, this is an angel that's speaking to Zechariah right now. But he asked him, he says, What seest thou? Verse number 2. And I said, I have looked. And behold, a candlestick of all gold. He uses here the definitive article, or the, the, the definite article, A. So it's a single candlestick here in this point. Of all gold and a bowl uh, upon the top of it. And his seven lamps thereon. And seven pipes to the seven lamps, which are upon the top thereof. So understand what he's describing here. He sees a single candlestick with a bowl on top. Out of that bowl, which contained the, the oil or the fuel for the lamps, were, were the stems that would go out and feed the oil to the seven lamps that were given there. Now notice what he says here uh, upon the top thereof. The two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl and the other upon the left side thereof. So I answered and spake to the angel and talked with, that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my, what? By my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? Thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with the shoutings, uh, with shoutings crying, Grace, grace unto it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto you. For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in his hand, in the hand of Zerubbabel. With those seven, they are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro through the whole earth. What's it in reference to? As we get down to verse number uh, 6, he says, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Then he deals with, as he goes down through verse 7, 8, and 9 of Zerubbabel finishing, and his hands finishing the house, and verse 10 he says, uh, For who hath despised the day of small things, for they shall rejoice, and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven that are the eyes of the Lord, 
which run to and fro through the whole earth. Again, speaking here, I believe, of the omnipresence and not only the omnipresence, but the fact that the eyes are throughout the whole earth, speaking here of his omniscience. Not only does he is he everywhere, but he sees everything. He knows everything. Now, keeping that prophecy in mind, let's look at Revelation chapter number 5. Revelation chapter 5. And this is the final time in Revelation that we find the phrase, the seven spirits of God. Chapter 5, and let's look in verse number 6. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns. Okay, so the lamb, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. The horns will always deal with issues of authority or power, uh, rulers perhaps, but always deals with the, the idea of a power or an authority. So this lamb, as it has been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. In Zechariah, he spoke of the seven, which were the eyes of the Lord throughout the whole earth. In Revelation chapter 5 and verse number 6, we find that these eyes uh, are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And a direct, I believe, um, tie between what uh, 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 was prophesied in Zechariah and what we find here in Revelation chapter number 6. Again, keeping in mind, Zechariah is writing these things hundreds of years before John ever penned these words. And so it's very interesting that we find that parallelism given here that the Lamb, the Son of God, <coughs> has the seven horns, He has that authority, and the seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. Why? Because He's omnipresent. Uh, he's omniscient. He knows of these things. Why? Because He's part of the Godhead. And these are, again, I don't, I don't think it's dealing here of seven physical individual spirits, but more of the complete work of the Spirit Himself, the Holy Spirit of God. And so, again, we find a, a pretty good uh, set of evidences that are given throughout the book of Revelation that this is indeed dealing with the Godhead. The fact that they, uh, the translators of the King James Bible, which we believe to be preserved without error, considered it to be a deity in the fact that they capitalized the S. Uh, the fact that he is, uh, has a position at the throne of God, just like Jesus does. The fact that he uh, is worshipped by John and given uh, the same position, if you will. He's elevated to the same position as he who was and is and is to come. And to the same elevation of Jesus Christ in chapter 1 and verse number 4. Because of the fact that he was referred to uh, as having these seven horns and power and having the seven eyes being omnipresent, and omniscient, and we find that Zechariah also deals with that when he's talking about not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. And one last verse I'd like for us to look at, Proverbs chapter number 15. Proverbs chapter number 15, and we'll dismiss and, and be gone here. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse number 3. The eyes of the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Yahweh Himself, God the Father. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. So 
So again, I do not believe these to be angels, but I believe it to be the Holy Spirit member of the Godhead. It is. It doesn't uh, speak of these things as uh, being something other than the deity. We can't find any indication of them being anything less than the Holy Spirit of God. I think the thing that can, might cause us to, to wonder often when we read that is the fact that it uses the word the seven spirits. And again, I don't think that there's a problem with that at all prophetically because oftentimes we will find uh, that seven is used not to enumerate but to express completion and perfection of. And uh, so again, I believe this is uh, certainly enough evidence to bring us to that conclusion. If it has not been enough for it to bring you to that conclusion, that's fine. Because one thing that I am absolutely certain of that we can agree on, when we get to heaven, we will know for certain. <laughs> and that will be the case. But I do believe there's quite a bit of evidence that leads, uh, leads us to believe that this being is speaking here of the Holy Spirit of God Himself. Let's go ahead and bow in prayer. And then next week we'll pick up, Lord willing, uh, with the letter to the church at Sardis and uh, get through, hopefully, maybe the next three, uh, finish up the letters to the churches next Wednesday night. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful for your word. We pray that you'll bless it and use it. And I pray that you would help us to understand it, Lord, certainly as often as possible, to let your word explain itself, to give us the indications of things. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to have the insight, the illumination from your Holy Spirit, as we read its pages, as we read this book, help us to see uh, the truth. And may it be plain to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.